Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. How many of you are ready for the Word of God today? Amen. Man, I'm excited. I'm excited but sad at the same time. And here's why I'm sad. We only have two weeks left of the book of Acts. We are on the tail end. In fact, today we're going to look at Acts chapter 28, the final chapter. And the next week we're going to do a a wrap-up of the whole thing. But in and through all of this, we're taking the time to discover how did the early church respond to Jesus' mandate. Do you remember that? The mandate to go and make disciples, to, to raise up followers. Why is this so important? Why do we need to, to look at how they responded and then apply it to our lives in the year 2022? Because I believe there's an urgency, come on, there's an urgency to multiply into our culture today. Let me give you some t- statistics that will back this thinking up this morning. According to Pew Research Center, 75% of Americans identified as Christians in 2011. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that number is a little generous. I think some of that 75% are people who are hanging on to the shirt tails of, of Grandma Bessie. Come on. Right? But let's just go with it. Just for a moment. Let's go with this. In 2011... 75% of Americans identified as a Christian. In the year 2021, just 10 years later, that number has shrunk to 63%. A 12% decrease in the number of people that profess to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, if we dig just a little bit deeper into these statistics, we discover that 10 years ago, roughly 18% of Americans claimed no affiliation whatsoever with any religion. In other words, they said they're agnostic, they're atheist, or they're nothing in particular. That number, by the year 2021, has grown to 29%. That's an 11% increase in just 10 years. Church, I believe there's an urgency, and that, in fact, should stir an urgency in your life today to no longer remain silent about your faith, but begin to share it with those around you. And that was Paul's heart's. Why? Because he was not about to let what once happened to his people happen again. See, this next verse that we read in Judges chapter 2, we go back to the Old Testament just for a moment. We find the Jewish people, they have gone through the ringer. They had been in captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them. They began on the journey, and the armies followed them. God parted the sea, and they crossed across the sea. God provided food for them. He provided water for them. Time and time again, God was with them. They traveled in the wilderness for 40 years. They finally make their way to the promised land, which God told them they would receive. And then Joshua dies. Joshua was the leader of the Israelite people. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it gives us one of the most heartbreaking, heart-wrenching scriptures, I believe, of all time. And it says this, after that, after that generation died, 
another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Come on, look at that. After that generation died, another generation rose up or, or grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. As this verse suggests, we're always just one generation away from a future generation not knowing of the things of God, not really grabbing a hold of the things that really matter, the values, the distinctions that set us apart as a believer. The fact that a relationship with Jesus is the most vital relationship that you ever have. Now, this particular verse in Judges chapter 2, it is written in a time where the nation of Israel, the, the parents, the teachers, and even the priests, they hadn't done a very good job of passing on to the next generation the, the foundation of what really mattered, the good news of God, that God had delivered them from captivity, that God had provided them, that God had performed many mighty miracles for them, that God had led them through the wilderness and even protected them time and time again. Yet because the message was not held tightly to, the faith in God was soon forgotten and a generation rose up that did not acknowledge, did not hold on to, did not remember the good news of God. Church, I fear that we're at that time. That if we're not careful, we're raising a generation of young people that won't remember the good things of God, that won't remember the mighty things of God. Now is the time for action. See, in just 10 short years, we have seen a decrease of 12% of Americans that have held tightly to their faith. If action is not taken, we'll spiral downward and we'll see this number rapidly, rapidly plummet. I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave this life without leaving a legacy for the next generation. Come on, let that sink in. I don't want to leave this earth. I don't want to leave this physical body without leaving a legacy for the next generation. See, we're at the wrap-up of the book of Acts. In fact, it ends on chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. But note, it doesn't end with Paul's death. We've been watching the life of Paul. You remember, he had a radical life change on the road to Damascus. And then he began going on all these missionary journeys and sharing the good news of what Jesus has done. We don't come to the end of Acts and, and Paul is killed or, or die. He doesn't do that. He's not snuffed out of the picture. There's no formal closing to Paul's letter. This is because we are the continuing story of Acts. Where it ends, grab a hold of this, we begin. Let me say that again. 
Uh, we are the continuing story of the book of Acts, where it comes to completion in text. That's where we pick up the mantle. That's where we begin to move forward. So the question that we must ask ourselves is this. What legacy do we want to leave for the next generation? There's an urgency. There's an urgency to multiply. Verse 30 and 31 says this, For the next two years Paul lived in Rome on his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Why did Paul take this message so seriously, because he was radically changed from the inside out. He wasn't the same misguided person that he was earlier on. He was changed and had a mission to accomplish, a mission to multiply the good news of Jesus Christ. And I wonder... Has God done anything good in your life? Come on, let me ask that again. Has God done anything good in your life? If so, then you've got a mission. There's an urgency for you to begin to multiply. There's an urgency for you to begin to share that good news. If we don't do so, I fear we're raising a generation that'll know nothing of the good news of Jesus. It's time to boldly proclaim the good news, lest we raise a generation that does not acknowledge or even remember what he's done. I challenge you today, hold tightly to that urgency. I want to give you three examples to multiply. Are you ready for those this morning? Yeah. I'm going to encourage you, take really good notes. Grab a hold of the paper outlines. Go on the digital version on the church app, the front page of that. Take really good notes today. Example number one is this. Demonstrate a life of trust in God. Come on, that word demonstrate's important. Because sometimes we're really guilty of saying, well, I just don't want to push my religion on anybody. You don't have to push religion because what we do around here is not religion. Religion hung around the cross. That's what got them in trouble. What we talk about is a life change, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you. Make that, make that known to the world around you. Demonstrate that on a regular basis. The Bible says that we are Christ's ambassadors. In other words, we're his representatives. And if we're representing him, guess what? We're demonstrating a life that follows after Jesus. Paul said it this way. Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, as I do the best that I can to live a life that honors him, that, that reflects who he is, go and do that. So we're to demonstrate a life of trust in God. Now, notice I didn't say demonstrate a moment of trust or have situational trust. What we're talking about here is a, a life of trust, a daily choice to choose to follow the plans and the desires of God. Look what it says in verse 14 and 15. The God of our ancestors has chosen you. 
Come on, look at your neighbor this morning and say, God chose you. Look at your other neighbor, you know, the second choice, and say, believe it or not, he even chose you. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his what? Witness. You are to be his witness. In other words, you are to represent. You are to demonstrate. You are to tell everyone what you have seen and heard. Now, in in Paul's life, he went through a lot. And we've read through this. We've processed over this last six months the things that Paul went through. Man, the guy had been arrested. The guy had been beaten. He had been shipwrecked. He had been bitten by snakes. He had been falsely accused. He was chained 24 hours a day, 24-7 to guards. All of these things going on. And what impresses me more than anything else is that through it all, Paul's attitude remained faithful to the things of God. He knew there'd be days of struggle. He knew there'd be days when it'd be overwhelming. He knew there'd be moments when he'd be stressed out or stretched to the limit or even frustrated. But he also knew that God would be faithful. So what do you do? What do you do when it doesn't seem like there's enough, enough time, enough energy, enough money, you're stressed to the max. What do you do in those moments? Can I just challenge you? Do what Paul did. Choose to trust God in all circumstances. Choose to trust God in all circumstances. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, always be joyful. Never stop praying Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Come on, would you read that with me this morning? Read it like you mean it. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. How do we do this? How can I always be joyful? How can I be thankful in all circumstances when sometimes it feels like the bottom is falling out? How can I be thankful? How can I, how can I hold on to this attitude that, that demonstrates a level of trust or a, lo- a life of trust in God? Well, if you noticed, right in the middle of all of that conversation there that that Paul is given, he says this, never stop praying. Come on, that's your key. That's what's going to unlock the ability to always be joyful. That's what's going to unlock the ability to be thankful in all. Now notice it doesn't say be thankful because of all circumstances. That's narcissistic, okay? Well, I'm just thankful right now that my car blew up. No, that's dumb. That's just dumb. Oh, I'm thankful that I don't have enough money to eat anything today. Well, that's dumb. You're not thankful because you've got the problem. 
But you're able to be thankful in the midst of that. Why? Because God is with you in the storm. God is with you even when things seem troubling, even when difficulty arises. It's possible to be thankful in every situation when I turn it over to God and demonstrate a life that trusts in him. I've put my hope, I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. I've allowed him to be the foundation of who I am. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 17, it says it this way, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Come on, can I be honest with you? We live in a day and time where we can't place our confidence in self. Come on. Because the world around us is in such turmoil. The world around us spirals so quickly, chaos and confusion, that the moment we begin to think, man, I can do this, I'm strong enough, I'm powerful enough, I'm good enough, and look at, I can do, no. You're going to find yourself spiraling, and then what are you doing? You're guilt-ridden, you're overwhelmed, you're depressed, you're frustrated, all of these things piling up. But if you begin to give it to God in the first place, Lord, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God, I'm going to put my faith in you. God, I'm going to make you my firm foundation. God, I'm going to make you what I build my life upon. So blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. I wonder today, what have you placed your hope and confidence in? Let me be completely honest with you today. If you've placed it in anything other than the good news of Christ, it's simply not going to work. I'm just going to give you the truth today. So we've got to learn to demonstrate a life of trust in God. The second thing is this. Demonstrate a life encouraged by God. A life encouraged by God. In chapter 23, we found out that Paul was in front of the high priest. Do you remember this? This is Ananias he's in front of. And as Paul is speaking, the council is divided. Paul finds himself being pulled by both sides. The commander was afraid that Paul would be torn apart, so he moves him back into safety. And that night, a voice cries out to Paul with this message. Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have witnessed to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Now, who said this to Paul? Was it a prisoner next door? Was it a guard standing out in front kind of watching things? Was it the high priest? Who was it that spoke this? It was none other than God. And I want you to know that God is always with you in the battle. Here, God is basically saying, Paul, be encouraged, be confident, because I am going to use you in another situation. Paul, I'm not through with you yet. So Paul stood faithful because God encouraged him. Do you think that this world, this generation, would benefit from that kind of encouragement? Absolutely. 
Therefore, we must demonstrate a life that is encouraged by the things of God. Let me give you three ways very quickly that God encourages us. Number one, God will console you. God will console you. God will step in. He'll alleviate the grief, the sense of sorrow. He will fill that hole in your life. A pastor friend of mine when I was growing up used to say that every one of us have a God-sized void in our life that only he can fill. Man, we try to fill it with so many things, don't we? So many vices in life. Drugs and alcohol. Sex. Money. We try so hard to, to fill that void. Hobbies, collections. I'm going to put all of these things in. Surely I can fill that void in my life. Surely this is going to help me to alleviate the sorrow. Surely this is going to help me to alleviate the pain. But truth be told, none of those fit. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you had that little ball and you had the round pegs and the square pegs and the triangle pegs and you had to put the right ones in the right slots. Do you guys remember those? Did I just date myself? Tell me they still have them, right? They still have them. Come on, I'm not that old yet. And as a little kid, we would try so hard to take that square peg and we'd press it in there. In fact, if you look carefully at that square peg, it kind of has some rounded edges where we boys, we force that thing a few times. Come on. But that's what we do as people as well. We, we try so hard to, to put all of those pieces in, to make everything fit, to pull it all together. And God says, would you just let me put the right peg in the right spots? Would you let me fill that hole in your life? I want to challenge you today. Demonstrate a life that is encouraged by the things of God. That's taking the moment saying, Lord, I'm going to rest in you today. Psalm chapter 34 says it this way. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Is your spirit crushed today? Is your heart broken today? Can I just encourage you in this moment and say, God is standing before you. God is ready to meet you where you are. God's ready to fill that hole in your life. Just as he said to Paul, be encouraged. I'm not finished with you yet. I believe that if he was standing here in the flesh today, he would look you eyeball to eyeball and he would say this, be encouraged. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got something for you to do. Be encouraged. Rise up. Allow me to fill the void. Allow me to alleviate the grief and the hurt. Allow me to step in and be your all in all. Not only will God console you, but God will comfort you. Paul had so many opportunities to throw a personal pity party. Yeah? Anybody in the room ever throw a personal pity party? Come on, come on, be honest. Everybody, if, you had a, if you've ever had a pity party, raise your hand. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying and we'll have a prayer time at the end of the service. No, every one of us do, don't we? Man, we love that pity party. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll just go eat worms. Not the gummy type either. I'm talking about those, well, not crawlers. 
Nobody loves me. I'm just going to have a pity party. Paul at any moment could have done that, yet he chose to lean in to the comfort of God. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, all praise to God. Come on. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. Come on, the source of all comforts. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can do what? Comfort others. So the source of comfort makes available to you and makes available to me this supply, an ample supply, unlimited supply of his comfort that in those moments when those around us are struggling or having difficulty, because we are demonstrating a life that is encouraged by God, now we're able, come on somebody, we're able to step over here in this moment and be encouraged to somebody else that's going through an issue in life. Come on, I challenge you today. Grab a hold of the urgency to multiply. Not only will God console you, God will comfort you, but God will confirm you. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, take a look. Chapter 23, verse 11, right after God directed Paul to be encouraged, he reminded him of his call in life, he says, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Now, that promise, I believe that promise sustained Paul through the turbulence, through the wind, through the rain, through the shipwreck, through the snake bite, all of this time until the point when he came to Rome, I believe that this moment of encouragement when God says you must preach and God reminded Paul of his calling, I believe that sustained Paul through this journey. Look at your life. What forces are you up against? What trials are you facing in life? Just as God stepped up and encouraged Paul, he consoled Paul, and now he is confirming in Paul of this urgency, I believe that God is speaking the same to you as well. You have a purpose. God has a calling for your life. It, it may not be like this. You may never stand upon a stage and speak to hundreds of people at one given time, but you have influence over somebody. A coworker, a spouse, kids, your parents. God has an opportunity for you to share that good news. The question is, are you willing to demonstrate this life that follows after the things of God and is encouraged by who he is? And finally, number three, demonstrate a life 
of obedience to God. Come on, this is the hard one. This was hard. Because sometimes what he's calling us to do is, is difficult. You're standing in the middle of Walmart and somebody walks up and you're like, hey, how's it going? And they, they begin just to unload. Man, it's really rough. I just found out this week that I'm battling cancer. You have a choice. What are you going to do? God begins to nudge and you pray for them. And you're, you're thinking, you say, oh, I can pray for them. I'll pray for them later on. When I do my now I lay me down to sleep prayer, then I'll pray for them. It'll be, it'll be good then, right? God says, no, 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 no. I want you to pray right now. But God, I'm in the middle of the clearance aisle at Walmart. There's crazies up in here. Right? Well, you know they're there. And if you don't know they're there, you might be them, but I don't know. And God says, why not take this moment? This moment of obedience. This moment of faith. This moment of trust. We read in chapter 28 that Paul arrives in Rome. It didn't take very, very long for him to begin to fulfill this promise. What, what was the promise? To preach about Jesus in Rome. It didn't take him very long to begin to do that. Paul begins to share about his faith in Jesus Christ and the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Just three days after he arrived, he stepped into this moment of obedience. Look what it says in verse 23. They agreed on a time to meet with Paul, and many of them came to his house. From early morning until late in the afternoon, Paul talked to them about God's kingdom. He used the law of Moses and the book of the prophets to try to win them over to Jesus. Now wait, hold it. Wasn't this the same thing that caused him to get arrested in the first place? Wasn't the fact that he was sharing the good news of Jesus Christ the reason he was in this predicament right now? Absolutely. But Paul understood the urgency. Paul understood the need to fulfill this mission. A mission that you and I have today to multiply for the kingdom of God. And yeah, the book of Acts, as you read it, appears that it has ended abruptly but it truly hasn't ended this generation and generations to follow need to hear the message of Jesus Christ I read about a missionary a while back that was sharing with a group of Hindu women and in the midst of the conversation as he was sharing about Jesus Christ one of the ladies in the crowd that day stood up and ran abruptly out the back door. She wasn't gone very long, and she comes back and she sits down, and from that point on to the very end, she didn't take her eyes off this missionary. After the conversational time, he walked up to this lady and he said, I noticed that you got up quickly and ran out, then you came back and you were very attentive. Why did you go out? She said, I went out to talk to your friends to find out if you really live the life that you're talking about now. 
And they said, you do. So I came back and I didn't want to miss a single thing. I wonder in your life, is your life mirroring the life of Jesus? Are the words that you're speaking and the actions that you're taking, do they compute? Do they connect? Do do they line up? You see, there's an urgency. Why is there an urgency? Because our time is short. I remember as a kid, man, we talked a lot. It seemed like every single week we came to church, there was some reference to Jesus is coming soon. You better get ready. If you don't get ready, if you don't get right, you're going to get left. Right? I mean, it was to the point that when I was a a young boy and eight, nine years old and mom and dad would run to the store or whatever and they left me home for a little bit and they said, we'll be home at seven o'clock at 7.01. I'm sitting on the back of the couch with the curtains open and I'm looking, trying to figure out, did the rapture happen? Did I miss it? Did I miss out what's going on? Where's mom and dad? I look across the street because Jackie and Harold lived there and I knew if the rapture came, they would be taken. So would Harold walk out to work on the yard? Come on, come on. Anybody else remember that? And you say, well, Pastor, that was, what, two, three years ago, right? Now, that was 40-plus years ago. And you say, he hasn't come yet. But can I just tell you, it's closer today than it was then? The Bible said he's going to come like a thief in the night when, when no one knows when. No one knows the day or the hour. But we've got to be ready. Church, there's an urgency. There's an urgency to raise up a generation of people, to raise up a group of people that that know the things of God, that remember the things of God, that lean upon the things of God, that trust in who he is. I want to challenge you today. Don't allow this series six-month-long series. Don't allow it just to be six months of your life. But allow it to stir something in your hearts. An urgency to share the good news of Jesus. To take as many people with you to heaven as possible. To see God radically change hearts and lives and bring marriages back together. I know that God can do it. The question is, are you going to be a part? Will you make yourself available? There's an urgency in the air. Are you willing to follow and obey? Would you pray with me? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.